Good morning, everybody. This is Jeffrey Harris. This is the 411 Wrestling Interviews Podcast. Today's date is Friday, May 3rd, and I'm speaking to the producers of the new Dark Side of the Ring documentary series on pro wrestling on Viceland. The show has been very successful. It's been going up in ratings every week. And uh, this is Evan Husney and Jason Eisner. Uh, guys, good morning today, and can I just get you guys uh, to introduce yourselves really quick? Sure. Um, this is uh, Evan. Uh, I'm the producer and co-creator of the show. And this is Jason, and I am uh, director and also co-creator of the show. All right, guys. So uh, the show's been running for a few weeks. Uh, it seems to be doing very well. Uh, how have you guys been enjoying uh, seeing the fruits of uh, your labor kind of unfold and, and just getting to see the response, which I think has been overwhelmingly positive. Um, it's been, uh, it, it's, it's been wild. Um, I mean, you know, seeing, uh, you know, Dwayne Johnson respond to, uh, our show is a dream come true, uh, because we're both wrestling fans. We've been fans our entire lives and just to kind of get that level of validation was, was overwhelming. And of course, just a few nights ago, we had our episode about the Von Erich family um, aired, and just seeing the outpouring of emotion and, and, and love that the fans have shown towards Kevin Von Erich for being so open and sharing his story is just awesome, and it's just great. It's just great to see people respond to this uh, to our show. I mean, a lot of work and passion and love for the business went into it, so it's just awesome to see people digging it. Yeah, it's like really cool to see like. Um, like I think some of our favorite comments are like from like the really like hardcore like wrestling fans who um, who tell us that like they show it to like a loved one or a friend who like the professional wrestling business or didn't really have an affinity for it. And by watching our show, it's made them like appreciate the like the, the sport like even more. And so that that's like so awesome to see. But like. Um, our fellow like wrestling fans are like being able to uh, use the show as a way to kind of introduce uh, other friends of theirs in, uh, into this world. Now, in recent years, the docu series has really seemed to rise to prominence, or I guess take flight. Ever since I think Netflix's uh, making of a murderer. What do you guys think about that, and why do you think the docu series has become such a hot commodity as of late? Um, I mean, it's, it's, I think a lot of people just, you know, it, it, it allows viewers to be able to, um, you know, get into like the deep dive on, 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 on a really compelling story. And, um, you know, you see a lot of these shows like Making of a Murder or The Jinx or something like that. And you just sort of see, you know, these stories that can last multiple episodes and people can just dive in and, 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 you know, be able to see how the episode evolved or sorry, how the story evolved episode to episode. And um, I think it's also when it, it really comes down to like kind of truth being stranger than fiction in a lot of ways, <laughs> you know, um, when you look at like uh, a story like the Von Erics or um, like the story we have that's coming up next week with the, with the, the mysterious death of Gino Hernandez, like those, these are stories that you can't really write, you know, they're, they're just, they, they just exist in these kind of bizarre sort of um, ways. And um, I think that's, one of the reasons why, you know, they're so successful is because, you know, you just can't top it in, like, the fiction space in terms of just how robust and fascinating and intriguing these stories really are. And so I think that might be one of the reasons. 
Okay. Now, another question I had, uh, one criticism that Lance Storm levied against uh, the Montreal Screwjob episode. He wrote on Twitter, tapped on the Montreal one when it opens with Bruce saying it was Brett's last night in the company. No, it wasn't. How can they buy such easily verifiable BS? Do you guys have a response to Lance Storm? Uh, well, I mean, you know, obviously we, we've heard a lot of the criticisms on the Montreal Screwjob episode. You know, I think one of the things is like, um, I think one of the things that, in, why that story has endured for so long, like, you know, I think a lot of people could go and read the, the wrestling, uh, the wrestling, uh, observer and get sort of, the, you know, Dave's exhaustive, you know, bullet pointed facts on the story Obviously, we have the challenge of kind of condensing it into a 44-minute episode at the end of the day. Uh, but really, I think this story for us was, real, was was fascinating in that everybody kind of has their own version of the truth of what happened that night <laughs> and how it kind of lives on as like the JFK assassination of wrestling in sort of ways. And it's like, you know, I don't know if a listing of the facts would, would have been as compelling, you know? And uh, I think what Bruce meant, and maybe it was a combination of us kind of taking it out of context a little bit, but I think what he meant is, like, because the way he phrases it, he sort of says, you know, it's your last night in the company, and I think he sort of meant it as kind of looking back in hindsight. Um, I could be wrong. I totally could be wrong. And I know that's not factually correct. But, again, looking at that whole situation more in macro, you know, the – Going back to what Jason was saying about the feedback that we like, you know, that we've gotten on the show thus far, is predominantly the feedback that we're getting from the non-wrestling fans, but not like the people who don't know anything about this. Because, you know, hardcore wrestling fans, as many of them as there are, like us, there's not enough of them to really justify the existence of a show like this. I mean, you really have to make it appeal to people that aren't as familiar with these stories as we are. And so... It's sometimes you have to condense information and you have to get things in. But at the same time, I think what's fascinating to non-fans is this idea that there's this one incident that took place and that after 20 years, even even though we've exhaustively looked at it under a microscope, that there's still aspects of the story people can't agree on and people can't, you know, and there's always a different angle and a different approach to it. And so I think for us, like, that's what's really, what's really fascinating and kind of one of the things that we really wanted to blow out into telling the story. Like, you know, Scott Hall, for example, is another aspect of the story that gets a lot of heat, so to speak, um, in terms of why is Scott Hall, you know, in there. And the truth of the matter is, is like, you know, when we were talking to Scott about um, just being in, in the Randy Savage episode, which he's, he's also featured in, um, you know, we, 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 I just mentioned that, you know, we're doing this episode about the Montreal Screwjob, and then his response to us, you know, was just like, total work, you know? And I was like, what? And he just went into detail on why he thinks that. And, um, and then it was just kind of too good not to, to include. Because it also shows that there is maybe more of a divide than people think. And I'm not trying to be a conspiracy theorist, but we actually put a poll out there on the Internet. It was like, so, you know, what does everybody think? And we were surprised how... how Still, after all this time, there's like 40%, I'd say, almost of fans that maybe want to believe or do believe that, you know, some, that, that, that it was. But we know from talking to Brett, I mean, my expert opinion is I don't think that's true at all. But it's just fascinating. So 
from that, on a macro view, if you're looking at this from bird's eye view, it's just fascinating after all these years why this one thing, you know, not everybody agrees on. Uh, Jason, do you think Lance Storm is being unfair to you guys? Um, I think he, you know, he has the right to his opinion, but like Evan said, I think, uh, you know, it's like, it, it is really, like, fascinating that this is, like, this one pivotal moment in wrestling where people have been so divided over all these years about, like, what really took place. Like, that is just so singular to, like, a wrestling world. Like, I just, I can't think of any other sport or art form where that kind of, like, argument or conversation is, like, taking place after, like, all these years. So, right. I, yeah, I, I, love, I love everyone's, I love everyone's perspective on it. Well, what I would say in defense is that, for all intents and purposes, that was essentially Bret Hart's last night at the time, was it not? Yeah, and I think, I think that, you know, honestly, I, I have to go back to the transcripts, but I actually, pro- I, I would imagine that that could have been the way that Bruce had even framed it in that one moment, was like, you know, okay, look, this is your last night in the company, you know what I mean, like, kind of weighing right. that, but obviously I know that there has been, even recently, like, just with, you know, the various podcasts that are now out there about wrestling, that there seems to be a lot, you know, you know, Eric Bischoff, Bruce Pritchard, different people kind of weighing in on this thing, Dave Meltzer, and it's just fascinating as fans, I mean, you know, to, to hear, uh, still after all this time, just like so many disputes between all the all the parties that were involved, it makes it that much more fascinating. Now, my other question, my other question on that is, I guess my last one uh, is Lance Storm saying that Brett was scheduled for additional nights after what was supposed to be Survivor Series '97. Yeah, basically, what I've heard, you know, and predominantly from Meltzer, and, and you know, is that uh, he was he was, I believe, don't. I'm, don't hold me to this 100% off the top of my head, but I believe that in whatever negotiations Brett had with Eric, that um, he still had a few weeks left on his WWE contract that Eric was going to honor, and um, that uh, there was conversations that did take place about with Brett actually dropping the title at the next pay-per-view in December uh, during a Fatal 4-Way matchup. Um, and, uh, but I think the, that detail is so granular, first of all, like, I mean, it is, it's a very granular detail and we had a lot of those details in the episode and it's just like, you know, you have to pick and choose the ones that you're going to, you know, uh, dive into in order to communicate to fans who, or not to non-fans rather, just viewers, like, you know, who are going to try and understand the story and not get into the minutia of booking and shows. It is complicated. It's a very, it's the most complicated story. In some, in some ways, it's more complicated of a story than the homicide story we've covered on the show, um, in just terms of the contracts and the dates and all those things. Um, but I think the primary focus of on the Montreal Screwjob in terms of, like, what Vince McMahon was truly afraid of is not necessarily Brett, you know, cavalier, cavalierly walking on, you know, WCW with the world, the WWF World Championship. You know, I think it's more symbolic of, you know, Eric saying, you know, we just signed the champion like tomorrow night on Nitro. You know, where he says on which he's he's done in the yeah. past, is saying like we just signed the world champion. Everybody, he's coming here in a couple weeks. You know, and that just in order, you know, for that. 
to make the airways is just something that would be, just like Bruce says, sort of a kick in the nuts for, you know, WWF at the time. Okay, great. So the next episode is uh, Gino Hernandez, and I believe the episode after that will be um, will will be the fabulous Mula. Yes, that's correct. Now, yeah. how and how many episodes will this season be? The uh, the full season is is just six episodes. Okay. Six uh, six episodes. Yeah, are are in the first season, and um, you know, depending on how many folks keep tuning in and spreading the good word and everything, hopefully we'll be able to uh, dive into a second season. Uh, do you want to go ahead and announce season two today? <laughs> I wish I could. <laughs> I, I really wish I could, but there, there's, we don't, we don't have the, we don't have the, uh, the actual order or the official word yet, but man, uh, I really wish I could if that were a thing. Now, uh, yeah, and like, yeah, go ahead. That's like, like how they could help, help make that happen. And I think, People just keep talking about it online and keep getting advice. Um, tuning it in. Yeah, tuning in. Yeah. yeah, tuning in on Viceland and watching it on Viceland.com. You know, all the ways that support the show, you know, um, which people have been doing, which is just, you know, phenomenal. But yeah, now, keep on, keep on. Now, post-humously, uh, the fabulous Moolah has become a bit of, um, a bit of uh, an embattled, you know, she's become a pariah of sorts for the industry. Were you guys aware of that when you started making that episode? And will it, will it explore that? Yeah. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that was sort of the, uh, that was the jumping off point for us was uh, when we were planning out the first season, um, you know, that had just happened. The, the, uh, the controversy with the fabulous Moolah's legacy going into WrestleMania um, 34, I believe, right last year. Yeah. And, yeah. um, which was, you know, the fabulous Mula, her name was going to be used, uh, for a women's battle royal event. And the fans had sort of, um, uh, rallied against that and sort of, you know, these allegations had surfaced and these other kind of, you know, um, controversies had come. And Snickers stepped in. Yeah. And then of course, yeah, the, the sponsor of the event Snickers stepped in and, and, and then the WWE changed, you know, took her name off of the event. And that was interesting to us as a, as a starting off point to look at because, you know, obviously the Me Too movement, you know, it happened and we're kind of getting into this point of separating, like, you know, or, or the actual conversation of separating art from art and really reevaluating the legacies of, of those and, and certain things. And so that was interesting to us. And the fact, you know, that, that we're talking about women's wrestling and sort of a, a female gatekeeper, so to speak, in, in, um, uh, in a way. And so that was just compelling to us to look at and sort of see if we can talk to as many, you know, uh, women wrestlers who worked alongside of her. And of course, um, you know, Mula's daughter and other people to sort of see, you know, for ourselves, you know, what, what what really transpired and is there truth to this and and um, and so on and so forth. Now at the same time, Mula is no longer around to defend herself, and and she was never, as far as I know, she was never arrested or convicted of any crimes here. So I mean, does that episode take things into account, or can we expect? I'm I'm to me I'm just curious because I'm not I tr I want to take I. I take the stories and allegations seriously, but at the same time, you know, you know, I, I think, I think every, everyone's entitled to, to, you know, a defense, you know what I mean? 
Yeah, absolutely. Like, we didn't set out to, like, persecute, like, Bula. Like, we wanted, like, because we didn't know, like, the extent of the allegations until uh, WWE uh, strike Mula's name from the Battle Royale. But um, we wanted to give voice to the, the women wrestlers who did spend their time with Mula and hear it from them, from themselves. And so I think you'll see, like, in the episode, like, it's a pretty, like, honest perspective of like what I think some of the women like went through working with Mula and hopefully a good honest perspective as best as we could from I guess the Mula side of things as well. Um, yeah. Now, since I got you guys uh, on the line, I'm going to have to talk to you and ask you about Vince Russo and Jim Cornette. I'm sorry, but I got to. <laughs> um, now, is it true that Vin- is it true that Vince Russo called you gentlemen and asked to uh, appear in the Montreal Screwjob episode? <laughs> um, well, we were actually exactly. inter- yeah we we went to go visit Vince Russo for another episode that we were going to do because um, originally we had set out to like film eight episodes, so we were on the road to like those eight episodes in the can and so we were interviewing Vince Russo for another subject and when he asked us about some of the other episodes we were doing and he heard we were doing an episode about the Montreal Screwjob he was uh, very adamant that he wanted to be part of that and, and get his perspective because he was there and he was really excited to do that and so we, we just you know let the camera roll and let him let, let go loose <laughs> So it sounds yeah, like he a, was great. He was he was great. So so it sounds like it was a similar case of the of the Scott Hall interview where you know like you're ta- you're That's you're right. talking to Scott Hall about the Macho Man List situation and then you know you you mention yeah. oh we're doing Montreal Screwjob and then he presents his perspective so okay so we'll talk to him about that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and that happened yeah. a couple times like when we were doing the episode of okay. uh, Von Eric. Uh, David Manning, who is a referee and booker for World Class Championship Wrestling, he all, he mentioned to us, he's like, oh, I saw Bruiser Brody um, right before he left to go to Puerto Rico. And uh, so we recorded, we asked him a couple questions and recorded his perspective on what that conversation was like with Brody before he took off. And then we ended up putting that like in the piece. So there were, there yeah. were times where we got... Um, where we were interviewing subjects and they had something to add to our other episodes. Now, there was quite a bit of the whole Vince Russo, Jim Cornette thing um, in the whole Montreal Screwjob episode. Why do you, I guess, how, how did that come about where you sort of had this whole feud going on between Russo and Jim Cornette becoming part of the story? Okay, uh... So I think it was something that really kind of emerged in the edit room um, as like, you know, wow, these guys, you know, really enjoy, for lack of a better word, shooting on each other, you know, and it's interesting to us thematically, again, another, another sort of like thing to examine that would be entertaining to someone who's not familiar with any of this is there is kind of this weird motif in that episode where it's like, at, at, at the root of the Montreal screw job, you have, you know, Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels, two guys that don't really see eye to eye and don't get along with each other. And then it's like when you peel back the, the like layers of the onion, you know, with this story, 
you see, even at its core, there are two other people that can't stand each other and don't like each other. And so that's kind of like, um, Bruce has a line at the end of the episode where he says, like, well, you know, if, if two guys would have just got along, well, we wouldn't be sitting here today. And then it, and then that transitions into, you know, the, the sort of aftermath of, 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 of Russo and Cornette, which is just kind of like, you know, driving that point home of just like, you know, here's, here's these two other guys who just can't stand each other. And that's comical, um, but also, you know, just an interesting, an interesting thing, an interesting aspect of the story. Would I be insane to... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, just to cap that off. Yeah, okay. Also, just, like, really... um, It's it's just so... I guess it's entertaining to see how passionate, you know, how everyone is about the circumstances around this story in particular. And I think that also adds to the stakes of just, like, you know, Cornette being a purist. Like, he takes this more seriously... You know than anything, which you know, and then and then Russo is, looks at it more utilitarian, I guess, or this is a job, you know. So it's lifestyle versus job, and I think that honor, in turn, like honor and the meaning of a champion, and all those types of aspects are another core theme of like why that story is so uh, interesting. I think on a human level, you know. Would I anyway, be? I digress. Would I be insane to believe the whole Russo and Cornette thing is just one big giant work? Um. that he's selling the restraining order kind of just, you know, kind of makes me think a little bit. But that's, you know, that's just one niggling thing in my mind. Yeah. But like, but isn't that what sort of, I mean, that just kind of speaks to a larger thing about, you know, going back to the Moolah episode or even the Screwjob episode or whatever. It just kind of is such an interesting thing as fans, how we always want to believe at the work. You know, we always want to believe this stuff is a work right. because it's just so much, that much more insane, you know? And that's a huge characteristic of our of our show. Right. It's just like, you know, these are crazy human stories that happen at the intersection of a work and a shoot, you know? And what is real? I don't know. And sometimes we don't, we don't know for sure, you know, especially when I, yeah. I think that's part of, I think that's part of the beauty of pro wrestling and when, when I think pro wrestling oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. can nail, can nail that down. And I think part of the, I think in the in defense of the fans who think things is a work, I think in the last twenty years more than anything, I think for better or worse, wrestling the wrestling industry has sort of at times conditioned fans to question or believe things in that way. So yeah, but that's just that's just uh my view. So uh, I yeah, think and, and- yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, too, like, there were times when Evan and I, we were on the road interviewing this 
uh, that, you know, it would be, t- we would walk away from some interviews and we would be questioning, like, what was the work and, like, you know, what was the shoot or, you know, did we just totally get work there? Um, like, you'll, you'll see, like, even in the, in the Fabulous Moolahs episode, there's a really interesting moment with Wendy Richter, who had, Ooh. I guess you could say, like, the, the screw job happened to her before uh, the Montreal screw job um, with the, the match between her and the, the spider lady. Um, and you'll see there's an interesting moment where, like, Wendy still to this day um, uh, tells everyone that she didn't know that it was Fabulous Moolah underneath the Spider Lady costume when she forcefully was pinned down and lost uh, the women's title. Um, but, uh, you know, she also well, you see fans that like, that, yeah, yeah, you see the fans, you see fans like, like cheering. Like, yeah, that it's Moolah. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no. But she said that, you know, she said at the beginning of her interview, she's like, I protect this business like I would protect my country. And so you're kind of <laughs> like, huh, like maybe you are still, you know, very much protecting it. And uh, that's really fascinating. I love that stuff. And I love, like, we're also, we, like, we love, like, just like, you know, the that idea of when wrestlers used to also, like, keep their families in the dark about, um, about wrestling and that, you know, they wouldn't smarten up their families to the business. And that is so fascinating that some wrestlers' family members would go to their matches and think that, you know, that they were, like, juicing for real and, like, you know, really uh, <laughs> getting hurt. <laughs> now, were there any ideas or episodes that had to be left aside for this season that you might have picked, but just there just wasn't room for them? I mean, the, 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 the main instance of that um was you know uh just being in in production and you know things change and you know you have to make some compromises and sacrifices along the way and um that unfortunately was the case for our dino bravo episode that 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 we had done um and it's not finished it's probably i would say around 75 percent finished um and um you know, it was an incredible story, and we had access. And for those not who aren't familiar, uh, Dino Bravo was this like you know, he was the Hulk Hogan of Montreal in the seventies. He was this huge attraction in the seventies, and then when the eighties rolled around, and he was sort of more towards the end of his career, he was in the WWF where he sort of had a low to mid card kind of position. Um, but after he was released from his contract, he got involved in sort of the criminal underworld in in Montreal, and he was tragically. Um, that's like a, executed in his in his own living room in Montreal, and so that we dove into and told that story and interviewed some people who've never been on camera and some other sources, uh, you know, who reported on the story and things like that. Um, and that one we just unfortunately weren't able to finish. But again, season two, you know, um, everyone, uh, you know, if people keep hyping it and <laughs> tune in. It's hard to ignore as 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 much as I'm a, a wrestling fan and I love wrestling. It's a very harrowing, just uh, rough business at times, you know. And uh, it's interesting to see a lot yeah. of these stories come to light here. I mean, it is. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 like you know, I think it just is one of those things where obviously the time and the place, you know, eighties, seventies, eighties, you know, a little bit of the early nineties. You know, the world was a different place, and people's lifestyles were much different. We know a lot more now than we did then, especially about, you know, 
brain injury stuff and, and whatever, but also just the lifestyle. You look at rock stars that live the rock, rock star life uh, in those decades. And I think when you combine the rock star lifestyle with just the heavy demanding travel plus physicality of wrestling is when it just kind of all of those aspects together, I think it's just, was just a hard lifestyle, uh, create like a very, um, just, you know, big highs, big lows kind of situation. Now, uh, the, with the John Oliver last week tonight piece, you know, there's been talk again about the treatment of wrestlers and and how, you know, WWE handles them with insurance and, and road expenses and whatnot. Now, I, I don't know if you guys have any insight on this, but do you know what is it exactly that would keep uh, res- wrestlers or sports entertainers from getting included into the Screen Actors Guild? Is it is it the live TV element? Is it the sort of semi-sports element? Do you guys... I'm just curious, like, why... Res, what is the roadblock I, that would keep wrestlers from getting that? I don't know, like, definitively. Um, you know, I'm not, as, I'm not as in on, on, all, the, on, all, on all the details, but it is interesting, you know, and, and especially that idea of, like, could they be in the Screen Actors Guild? And to think, like, <laughs> all of the, um, you know, old-timers rolling, you know, would be rolling in their graves knowing that that would be a thing, right? <laughs> you know? Um, in terms of just because it would expose the business, but obviously that's not an issue anymore. Um, it, 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 yeah, it, I don't know. I'm just, I just don't know enough about it, but, yeah, it's um, it's definitely an interesting um, thing. I'm glad is being is, is now a com- is now a conversation we're having. Well, Darren, Darren Aronofsky yeah. talked about it when he made the wrestler, and I'm like, okay, that's interesting. And I'm like, well, instead of wrestlers unionizing and forming their own union, why couldn't they become a part of Screen Actors Guild? And no, other than Darren Aronofsky, I haven't heard anyone else ever talk about that before. Yeah, I haven't really either. Yeah, it's definitely it's yeah. definitely interesting, and it's something surprising that you know that hasn't happened yet. But I, I, I'm not. Then again, I'm just on the other side of the fence. I have no idea what the particulars would be in order to do that. Yeah. I saw someone posted something. I can't I can't remember where it is, unfortunately. But I, I did see kind of like someone did like an exhaustive reporting on like if this were to happen, here's how you would do it, type thing. Um, and now I've let us all down by not remembering who published that, but it was it was it was interesting. All right, guys. So just last question: uh, any message you would like to send to the fans or viewers about uh, the the rest of the episodes this season, or or about the show, or where they can uh, where they can find you guys online, or just any plugs or anything you'd like to share? Yeah, we're like yeah, really okay. active on our Instagram, uh, just at, at Dark Side of the Ring on our Instagram, where we. We've been uh, so uh, lucky to have been given like so many great like archival photos from the, the family members of uh, some of our subjects, and so we've been like posting those as we go, and posting you know just clips from the show and, and like little deleted scenes that we have, and, and also our Twitter account is a dark side of ring, um, and we're you know we're, we're very active on there every day as well too, so. Uh, yeah, and it's up on both of those. Gonna, um, oh, go ahead, Evan. I was just gonna say, yeah, and and you can you can we're, we're very active. Just what you were probably about to say, but <laughs> we're very active on both those channels. People can message us directly, and it's the two of us that are responding. So 
you know, any questions or comments or whatever is, uh, is, is welcome. Um, and yeah, just, uh, keep tuning in. Um, and next week's episode is definitely a doozy. It's, um, it's not an easy story. Um, but I think it's going to be exciting to see what people's responses are to the Gino Hernandez episode, because it's one of those stories that really hasn't been, um, told much. And I think, yeah, um, I would think this is like probably the one episode in our series that I think is going to be really eye-opening, uh, hopefully to the most, you know, most hardcore, hardcore wrestling historian. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. We really went deep on, on, on this episode. And, like, because we, 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 when we got into it, there was really only rumors that were out there, rumors from wrestlers that wrestlers have told on the road to other wrestlers, and those stories would get compounded on and added to. And so there was a lot of, like, weeds to kind of, like, like search through. Um, but I think um, it's going to be really eye-opening to a lot of wrestling fans. Uh, gentlemen, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. I think you guys have done a great job on this series. Uh, so congrats on, on the show and, uh, in the upcoming Thanks. season finale and here's to season two. Thank I want that Dino Bravo episode. So here's to you guys we getting to, too. getting, getting to finish yeah. it. I want that episode so bad because that's a story I want to hear about. So thank you guys. And I really appreciate your time. You're welcome. Thanks thank you much. so much, man. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining the 411 Wrestling Interviews Podcast. This is Jeffrey Harris signing off.